0: The Lord Jesus instituted two ordinances for the church to observe until he returns. Those are baptism of believers and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is central to the life of the church. It is a feast for the body of Christ as it communes with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a symbolic feast that points to the work of Christ and particularly his death upon the cross. When we think of the Lord's Supper, there are several elements that must be considered. There is a covenantal aspect to the Lord's Supper, a memorial, a revelational, and an eschatological aspect of this Lord's Supper. We want to focus on this first aspect, that is the covenantal aspect of the Lord's Supper. The synoptic Gospels relate our Lord's establishment of the Lord's Supper prior to his death. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 17, particularly to verse 26, contain a description of the origin of the Lord's Supper that in the hours before our Lord was crucified, at Passover, after Judas had colluded with the leaders of the Jews to betray Jesus, that on the first day of unleavened bread, Jesus responds to the disciples' question as to where they should eat the Passover, that Jesus informs them that they were to go into the city and they would meet a man and they would inform him that our Lord intends to eat the Passover Passover with his disciples in his home. The disciples did so. The other accounts in the Gospels talk about following a man carrying water into this house. But the disciples did so, they prepare the Passover. And our Lord, as he sits with the disciples, began to become sorrowful. He indicates that one of his disciples would betray him. And they're asking the question, Lord, is it I? Even Judas himself, who obviously knew what he had done, inquired of the Lord, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus responded, You have said it. The actual institution of the Lord's Supper occurs in these words. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The Lord's Supper is a covenantal feast. It underscores the covenant that Christ, our high priest, has inaugurated. And we want to consider then this aspect of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ as symbolized in the Lord's Supper, this aspect of... Of the covenant. In fact our Lord indicates that the Lord's Supper points to the covenant that he has established when he tells them having taken the cup drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant. It brings us then to conclude that Jesus shed his blood which was the price by which he inaugurated the new covenant. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. And I know that it is seeming a strange expression, my blood of the covenant. But when you read in the parallel accounts in Mark and in Luke, you will find it means this is my blood by which I institute the Lord's Supper. And the blood, or institute the new covenant, my blood is indeed the price When he says, this is my blood of the covenant, he means, this is my blood that is the price for which and by which I inaugurate the new covenant. It was that which he paid. The blood refers to his death, and he's simply saying, this is my blood, this is the payment. My life given in death will institute this new covenant. The Passover meal then, which is which forms the backdrop of the Lord's Supper, pointed to an exodus. And Jesus' celebration of the Lord's Supper with his disciples points to a new exodus. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, in chapter 12, verses 1 to 32, we see the significance of the Passover. It referred to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We see there in Exodus 12 that the 10th plague would bring death in Egypt. The firstborn in every household in Egypt would be struck dead. And for the children of Israel to be spared, they were given precise instruction that each family among the Israelites was to kill a lamb. And if a family was too poor to own a lamb. They were to collaborate with their neighbors and come together to purchase a lamb. And they were to use the blood of the lamb and they were to take hyssop and daub the blood of the lamb on the door frame and over the lintel. They were to do so, we are told, so that when in that night the destroyer comes through, the land of Egypt. We are told when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two-door the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. The smearing of blood signified that these people were protected and safe because they were under the blood. And thus the Passover... Pointed to the fact that Israel was delivered by means of blood; it was a so it was therefore established in Israel that they were to remember that they were delivered because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ then comes in this Lord's Supper that He instituted with the backdrop of the Passover to remind us that He is. The one who brings a new exodus, a new deliverance from sin, and that deliverance is through his blood. In the Passover, the, the unblemished lamb was killed. The blood was daubed. And they came together and they ate. And there were various... Elements of this meal. There was a the washing of hands, the eating of bitter herbs, the breaking of bread, and the father giving instruction to the children regarding the original story of the Passover. They would engage in singing in the Passover meal, the singing of the Hallel in Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They would also sing Psalm 139 or oh, give thanks to the Lord. But at the heart of the Passover was the drinking of four cups of wine. The Passover then functioned as a a reminder of their deliverance of a new exodus. But here, our Lord Jesus Christ points out that the, the Passover points to not only a new exodus, but a new covenant, because he takes the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the covenant. And of course, he's referring to the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. Our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, reminds the disciples that the Lord's Supper points to a new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. The term diatheke translates the Hebrew bereth, which originally meant to cut. This term diatheke, or covenant, means a will, a testament, an arrangement. It occurs some 280 times in the Old Testament. And in essence, it signals an agreement, a, a solemn agreement ratified by blood between two or more parties. Jesus therefore declares that by the price of his blood, that by the price of his violent death, he will establish a new arrangement, a new covenant to replace the old covenant with Israel so the Lord's Supper speaks not only of a new exodus, but a new covenant. But this new covenant must only be ratified and can only be ratified by blood. And you see that in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant in the Old Testament was ratified by blood. In Exodus 24, 1 to 8, we see this. Moses having returned from Mount Sinai. We are told that he took blood. Verse 8, and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood that inaugurates the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Moses sprinkled the people, and thus signifying that a new arrangement with God had begun. It signified that they were part of a new covenant, that they were set apart as God's people, but that they were only set apart as God's people because there was a lamb that was slain for them and here our lord jesus in this lord's supper at passover he reminds them that it is his death it is his violent death symbolized by blood that inaugurates the covenant that god had promised to jeremiah in jeremiah 31 to 34 a covenant that will come and replace the old covenant this is my blood of the covenant And so it points into the fact that it is the sacrificial, covenantal sacrifice of Christ that inaugurates a new covenant. But it ought to be borne in mind that Christ Jesus shed his blood to inaugurate the new covenant with particular recipients in mind. In verse 28 of our passage says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, not only is the blood the price that was paid for the new covenant, but that the, the blood our Lord Jesus Christ shed to inaugurate the new covenant is for a particular people. And that is why we're told, verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Which is shed for many. And there the language is poured out, shed or poured out. It calls to mind the Sacrificial blood that the priest poured out at the base of the altar in Leviticus 4 and verse 12 and other verses there in Leviticus 4. Our Lord says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. He sees himself as a sacrificial animal, a sacrificial lamb given for his people. This pouring out of blood for many harks back to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 53 verse 12 We read these glorious words. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many. And he indeed made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53 verse 12. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That Christ's death was the payment to inaugurate the new covenant, but Christ's death, which inaugurates the new covenant, was a death for particular people. And Matthew says Christ poured out his blood for many. This is in agreement with Isaiah fifty three twelve, But it is agreement with what Matthew himself reports in chapter 1 of verse 21. Where the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. And so in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 26, verse 28, the many refers to his people in chapter 1, verse 21. This point is made, the specific nature of Christ's death is also emphasized in Matthew 20 and verse 28, where Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What I'm arguing here is that this new covenant, that the blood of Jesus Christ brought into effect, was done for specific people in mind, for many. It is specific. He enters into a covenant with specific names on his heart. It was for a particular people. Now some believe that the death of Christ was intended for no one specific, that Christ died for the world. And when the question is, why then are not all men saved because Christ died for the world, the answer is that they must believe. And so it is as J.R. Packer points out, In that marvelous article that we looked at some time ago, which precedes John Owen's death of death. What happens in this case is that men make faith the basis of salvation. That regardless of what Jesus has done and what the Father has willed, men can only be saved by adding their faith to what God has done. We need to realize that it is not faith that saves. That it is the blood of Jesus that saves. That faith is a gift. And it is a gift that comes to us because of what Christ has done. In other words, faith is that which, is, which comes from the cross. Faith and repentance are gifts which are produced through the cross. This is my blood of the covenant. Which is shed for many. If we read this that Christ shed his blood to, st- to inaugurate a new covenant for all, then we must question why all are not part of the new covenant. If Christ died for all, then we must ask why are not all saved? If Christ died for all, that all men, without exception, should be saved, then we must question whether Christ died so that Pharaoh would have been saved did Christ die so that the people in Noah's day and the people in Sodom and Gomorrah who were already in hell when Christ came into the world, did he die that these people who were already in hell should be saved did he die that Judas whom he knew to be the son of perdition, destined for damnation, who could never be saved because he was not in God's salvific purposes. Did he die for one whom he knew the plan of God? This man was a son of perdition. Surely to do so would be to pit God's decree against the work of Christ. There was a French theologian, Moses Amrawat in 1599 to 1664, from whom the term Amarildian comes, who sought to soften the edge on what he saw as predestination. And Amrawat said that God loved all men equally, and that Christ came into the world to save all men equally. And so when the question was asked, and what about their salvation? He says that because human beings could not save themselves because of their sin, God gave to the elect faith, and they believe. But grace is seen now by Amirat as a universal gift, and yet not all men are saved. He drives a wedge between God's decree of salvation and the work of Christ. He makes Christ's salvation not really saving, but simply making men savable. It raises the question, if God punished Christ for the sins of all men, how could he justly punish any other person? You see, ultimately, the scriptures are clear that Jesus came into the world To give his life so that many will be part of the covenant, the new covenant. But not all men will be part of the new covenant. Jesus could tell the disciples, For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. And he knows them all by name. They are his people. They are his friends. In John 15 verse 13, He lays down his life for his friends. They are his sheep in John chapter 10, verse 15. They are for his church, which he purchased with his own blood. And I think that in this discussion about those for whom Christ died, and for those for whom he inaugurated the covenant, that if we were to argue that he died so that all men should be part of the new covenant, then we will have to raise objections to that on the basis of Ephesians 5 and 25 to 27. For there, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Could we, could we then, replace the church with the world? Could we read, for instance, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the world, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious world, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Could we read, That as the world. Certainly not. Because it was not the intent of Christ. To die so that every single man or woman in the world should be saved. If he did. If he died for such. Then all must be saved. But no. This is my blood of the covenant. That is poured out for many. That he knows them by name. That they are not a nameless mass. This is not a hypothetical salvation. Christ gave his blood to inaugurate a new covenant that specific people who are the elect should be brought into a covenant relationship with God. But thirdly, my dear friends, Christ's blood is not only that price which he paid to inaugurate the new covenant, and his blood is not only particularly paid for recipients that are known to him, but Christ's blood by which he inaugurates the new covenant produces the benefit of the forgiveness of sins. For this is what we read in verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The specific intent of shedding his blood is that they might be participants of the new covenant and that they might receive the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. Matthew, of all the synoptic writers, point to this matter of forgiveness of sins. In the new covenant that God had promised to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31 to 34, there are a few blessings that are listed there. The blessing of the internalization of the law in their hearts. God will become their God, and they will become his people. In the new covenant, there will be knowledge of God. No man will need to say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know the Lord. Elsewhere, the new covenant involves the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Jeremiah states that the new covenant involves this forgiveness of sins. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. Christ has given his life to inaugurate a new covenant, and that is that his people may receive the blessing of forgiveness. And the Old Testament points to this fact of forgiveness as one of the great promises of God to his people in the Old Testament. In Isaiah verse, chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Is a promise of forgiveness, of cleansing. In Micah 7, verse 19, he'll again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. Or else we read, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Forgiveness was the good news preached in the New Testament. In Luke 24, we are told that he said to them, "This thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins or forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations." Peter could say, Repent on the day of Pentecost and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so Matthew reveals that it is by Christ's own blood that he inaugurates the new covenant. That the new covenant that he inaugurates was for a particular people whom he lists as many. And regardless of other passages where we hear of world and all. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 verse 6. Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. The context there determines the meaning of all. That it means all. Not all without exception, but all without distinction. And the context bears it out. Christ inaugurates a new covenant for many, for the elect, for his people. Christ inaugurates a new covenant that you and I should receive the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. It is important that you and I recognize that when Christ went to the cross and died, he died as our covenant sacrifice. You need to know that God in salvation is not merely concerned that you and I should escape the punishment of hell. God has given Christ that we may have a relationship with him. That we may be his people. That we may know his love and his mercy. That we may be joined permanently to him in a new covenant, in a new relationship. And when we come to the Lord's table, what we are saying when we come, we are saying we are in a relationship With the king of heaven, we are his people. He has bought us with his blood. And when we come to the Lord's table, we ought to come rejoicing. Because we who are covenant partners with God have been bought specifically by Christ. What I am saying is that when he says that he pours out his life for many, that he knew exactly what he was doing and for whom he was doing what he was doing. That if you are a child of God and a member of the new covenant, it is because our Lord Jesus Christ knew you from eternity and carried you upon his heart when he went to the cross. That you are not an accident. That you didn't just come, just fall into salvation. That it wasn't merely your choice. Long before you decide to latch onto Christ, he latched onto you. You were given to him by the father. You are his people. You are his child. And he has given his life for you. And this is the great mystery of salvation. That God should look at worms as we are. And decide to enter into a relationship with us. And that Christ should bear us on his heart. And pour out his blood for us. That is the mystery. That is beyond human comprehension. That Christ loved you. That Christ loved you. And poured out his blood for you. You see when you talk about the cross. You can then say Christ died for me. Not for a nameless. Unidentified group of people. But for me. He poured out his blood for many. We must therefore thank him that we are part of the many for whom he died. We must realize that having died that we may be part of the new covenant, he has died that we would receive the blessings of the new covenant, which includes forgiveness. And forgiveness, as I've indicated, is not the totality of the blessings of the new covenant, but it is central to the new covenant. That you and I are forgiven people. That when we come to partake of the Lord's table. We come as a community and as a covenant people of God who are forgiven. That, that state of being forgiven is a permanent and an eternal state. This is the joy and the blessing of being a part of a covenant relationship with God. We are forgiven. We are forgiven of past sins and present sins and future sins. They have been wiped out by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. He has punished the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. He has borne our sins. He has inaugurated a covenant in which the merits of Christ have now been given to us. We are forgiven people. It means, therefore, that we must rejoice in this status. It means that we must also practice forgiveness. Matthew himself is concerned with forgiveness. He tells us we are to pray to God and forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Our Lord Jesus could say to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. But he can also ex- ex- exhort the believers. To forgive one another. He says if you forgive men their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. And Paul. In Ephesians 4 verse 32. Says be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians 3.12 and 13. Therefore as elect of God. Holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Long suffering. Bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against Another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Those of us who live as part of the new covenant owe our salvation to Christ. We owe this covenantal relationship that we have with God to the blood of Christ. To a sacrifice that was specifically designed to deal with our sins and every one of them. And this Sacrifice of Christ, by which we have become part of the new covenant, has dealt with our sins once and for all. May God help us then to come as those who are in covenant with God through the blood of Christ, as those who have been forgiven of all sins, and feast on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his name's sake, amen. Amen.